We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And what a game last night. The Lakers were down with injuries, but the basketball gods were on our side. We got some banked-in threes. We got four threes from Avery Bradley in the first half. Miami couldn't hit a free throw down the stretch. And the surprise star of the night was Malik Monk, who scored 27 points on just 13 shots, including some really, really difficult looks. And so we're going to talk about today shooting on this team. What strikes me about this squad is that we've got three guys amongst the vet minimum guys, the role players, that between Mello, Monk, and Ellington, who on any given night might pull out their flamethrower and win us a game with their jump shots. Mello's had a few of those. Monk's had two. One was last night. The other one was against the Spurs. He was very helpful on the road in that win as well. And Wayne Ellington's going to have a few of those throughout the course of the season as well. And you don't know who it's going to be ahead of time, but between the three of them, there's a good chance that one of them is going to get hot in any given game. And so let's start with Malik. Mike, you always talk about the difference between like a 36% three-point shooter and a 40% three-point shooter. And just say that that's the difference between a handful of shots over the course of the season. And we really kind of clutch our pearls too much over that. And I totally agree with that. I do think volume, though, is important, right? There's a difference between being able to get seven, eight of those shots up versus three or four. And You'd commented seeing him in person, just what a beautiful jump shot he has. But also, you I thought last night on the text thread, you had a really good observation about some of his other physical attributes. So what did you see from Malik last night from the arena? Yeah, his so he's got this just flow about his offensive game for somebody that's always been good uh, as, as a scorer. And this is something that Austin Reeves has told us about when he played against him in the state championship game when they were freshmen in high school. He's always been that guy. So he's got all kinds of stuff in the package. He's got the crossovers. He's got um, the hesitation dribbles. He's got floaters. He's got leaners. uh, He can pull up from three. So he really does have a pretty complete offensive game. And the his issue in the NBA has more been about his size and where he can fit on defense and his focus and stuff like that at times. But he's really an electric scorer. And we so we had him in the post game interview, and it was I asked him a question about. 
that one floating shot that he had to his left, which in some ways looks lucky. But the way that I tried to phrase it was it's not when you have the kind of touch that he has, it's not it's less luck than you think. Right. Because that Mm -hmm. that thing that thing switched through and he had it just like you can't really teach that type of feel uh, on a shot like that. There aren't that many other guys on the Lakers even, I think, that hit that shot in that way. Um, AD's got a little bit of flair, like with, with the kind of just feel touch, but that was like a Kuzma's a guy that I think hit some shots like that. He's got that another kind of weird little soft feathery touch like that. But so it was nice to see. It wasn't the first time that we've seen Monk go off in this way, but to be able to go 10 for 13 uh, from the field and hitting all manners of shots was really impressive. And they needed every single one of them uh, to get that victory. Monk, he is the classic when he's hot like keep writing him guy. So I was really happy the way that Frank said, oh, like you're giving some up on defense. I honestly couldn't give a damn. Like Frank was just rolling him out there. Like, and I know that mm-hmm. there weren't a lot of options. Maybe Frank's hands were tied a little bit. He could have gone elsewhere. To, but yeah. He, but he could have gone the baseboard down the stretch mm-hmm. for a couple of defensive possessions. And he said, nope. That's it though. That's that's the elsewhere, though. Bradley played 39 minutes. You know, Melo played 38. Yeah. You know, like Russ played 43. So that was basically just go back to Bays for a few more of those minutes. Or I guess I guess Ellington, right? Ellington played 22. Yeah. And so but Malik just had it going. He had it going. And on with any of these sort of. We've talked about this a lot because the Lakers roster is full of these guys. But with any of the vet minimum guys. Like all of them sort of have their strengths and their weaknesses, right? And when you're a vet minimum guy, your strengths can be extreme and your weaknesses can be extreme. And depending on like, they say that beauty is in the eye of the beholder, right? And so like, what does your team need? And if you can get it at a, from a vet minimum guy and all of these other things that he can't do, you're like, oh, well, it's okay. We've got these other dudes who do these things. But what we really need is this dude to be able to come in and do this. Well, A, he's a vet minimum guy because the thing that he really can do, he, he can't do it every night. Because if he could do it every night, he wouldn't be making wouldn't the be minimum. be a vet minimum guy. Mm-hmm. Right? And so on the nights where they're actually doing that thing that they could do, then you better just keep them in there as long as you can, right? It's just, it's just like, oh, gas lights on. Like, my gas light came on. Oh, well, I'm, I'm not stopping, right? We're going to ride this thing all the way until the end of the game. And Vogel did that with Monk, and Monk rewarded him, right? Like, I think the only thing that didn't really go right for Monk last night was that one missed free throw, like, down down the stretch of the game. But besides that, it, it was sort of just like, hey, like, you've done everything. So great night from, from Monk. But in general, the shooting point that you made, Pete, several guys on this team who can who you can ride in that way of, like, okay, well, let's let this wave keep keep going. And, and the other team, I feel like, is impacted by that, especially at Staples. Mike, the crowd last night was crazy crazy crowd was great the crowd was great and there i've always said this since i started pete with the lakers is laker fans know when they're needed and when the team oh can, i like that yeah when the team can meet what their expectation is and so once they started to see that all-out effort 
which I think was helped a little bit. But this is the time when when you have nine guys that know they're all going to play. It can help a team for a night because they all like Monk knew before the game. I'm getting my for 30 minutes tonight. And so mm-hmm. the mindset, the mindset is good then. And and yet we're here. Let, I want your Monk takes though first, because then I got another point about the shooting and, and how many uh, just how many ridiculous shots they hit. Yeah, no, just I, I think he's really Monk. So, Darius, you had a great tweet last night. I'll let you say it. The one about Ellington's jumper and its uh, mannerisms. I'll, I'll let you say it. I said that Ellington's jumper, I think I said that it wears a smoking jacket and reads classic literature because it is. We were talking the other day about Monk's mature game, right? And so, <laughs> but that thing is smooth, man. Ellington's jumper is smooth. It's, it is. And, so, and it's mature. The, the, the word mature is perfect, right? He's a professional shooter and everything that goes into every little element of there was one play where AD got double teamed and he was looking around. And Ellington relocated and he caught it and he kept the the ball in like a shot pocket. And it was beautiful. It barely moved the net when it went through. Monk is a contrast as a shooter to Ellington. Monk is a fast and loose type of player, right? He's got a natural flow, a natural rhythm. He's a great athlete, which is what Mike, you know, pointed out last night. And I think that's a really good fit next to Russ in particular. I've noticed their minutes together have been really complimentary. He's a good cutter. Russ has found him on some cuts. He can run the floor, get up court very quickly. And so I think that in that whole dynamic of there being this whack-a-mole, right, in the broader dynamic of our vet minimums, meaning that whenever you put a guy in, you're getting very distinctive strengths and very distinctive weaknesses. And you got to pick the right guy or else he will be very inappropriate for a certain situation. But Mike, our shooters in general, I think complement each other in that they're not the same type of shooter. Wayne's not going to get up court the way that Malik does, but Malik isn't going to, uh, his jumper is not going to wear the smoking jacket, right? And and uh, read classical literature. And so there are different situations that are appropriate for each. And then Mello's his whole other thing, right? And so that, I think, together, I think that's a really good thing to have. My brother is an English professor at college, uh, at a university. So like that, that imagery is going through my head just like when I think about what he's doing um, <laughs> half of his days. I The shooting stuff, though, Pete, is I, I need to unpack this for a second because – so the Lakers put themselves in such a precarious situation where they needed to hit 18 of 38 from three for a couple of different reasons. So the turnovers were ridiculous. 23 turnovers to just 14 for Miami. If you have a minus nine turnover ratio, you're not going to win many games. Then they put the heat to the free throw line 35 times. And you can argue that Miami was using some of their Kyle Lowry, Chris Paul-esque vet why up. Uh, wiles to do that but nonetheless like those are two stats where you have to be red hot uh from three to make up for stuff like that and and so in some of the threes that they're getting I, i'm you think about the like one of those claw games where you put the money in in the claw kind of ekes out over the the middle of the the stuffed animals and you're not really supposed to win that often and like every single time you press that button boop stuffed animals coming out like off off glass, no problem. Are you, are you saying got we the, got like, lucky, Mike? Are you saying we got lucky? You got you get the <laughs> the foot. The foot's just kind of you just get the corner of the foot, and it drops every single time. The little kid gets sad and said, "This one, nope, it's the thread. The thread just holds on, and it got in there." But this is what I want to unpack, Pete, though, because I don't think it was luck because the paint is so packed, and it's going to be packed against the Lakers, uh, and they don't really don't want Anthony Davis to post up or to get in there. They really don't want Russell Westbrook to be able to drive. So a lot of these threes are pretty open. 
even like even a couple of the ones that banked it. So like Bradley's corner threes were almost all wide open. Uh, Malik Monk had some that were a little less open, but that's he's the one that can do that. He can hit those shots. Ellington was getting great looks. And so I, I don't think it's just luck, even if it felt like that because of the number that was going that were going in throughout the night. For sure. And that's why the whole point of like, we don't know who it's going to be on any given night, but I think there's a good chance more often than not one of the three of those shooters, Malik, Mello and Wayne are going to have it that night. And that is a pressure release to all of that paint packing. We remember last year's playoff series as we lost because AD went down. And that is the fundamental reason. But when you watched the games, we missed so many open threes and jumpers that we couldn't alleviate that pressure. Now, obviously, there's a defensive component, right, where like that's what you that's what you give up when you have great defensive players in those spots. And but we just couldn't hit a shot against Phoenix. And we have more guys that I expect them to make it when they shoot the ball than than we have in in years really and so i think that combined with d we're improving on defense we've yes. been pretty good over you know the last 5 games or so the portland game i thought was a great wake up call i love how we've responded to that but going whatever direction defense or shooting or a combination thereof with that i always think that it's going to be a combination on this team coached by this head coach vogel deserves his criticism and we were talking about this some before we started to record, Pete, like Vogel deserves some some criticism. I think that some people will go farther than than others. I don't really begrudge the people who go farther. What I just want it all to be placed in the right context, and then and then that will be that. Vogel understands what it's going to take to win in this league. He, he didn't win a championship before he got to to the Lakers, but he. Always very good deep playoff runs and he's a very good basketball coach and he knows he knows you're not going to be able to win at a high level if you do not have some baseline level of defensive ability and awareness and want right and he is going to preach that over and over and over again, particularly to this roster where it is not it it is not the natural inclination for a lot of these guys to go out there and lock in defensively. It's just not. And so no. part of part of Vogel Mike post game, and I had mentioned this to to Pete a while back offline, but I feel like Vogel has been much more pointed in his comments post-game about defense and what players are doing right and not right and, and sort of holding them to a standard with accountability publicly than what he has in previous seasons. And I think a part of that is that reinforcement of like, no, man, like we need to get y'all there because... Vogel's not a dumb guy. He understands what he has in this team offensively. He knows that when this team is whole and when his shooters get going and when he's got LeBron and AD and Russ getting downhill and creating open shots, this team is going to hum offensively. But if they don't bring the defense along with them, he knows that ultimately they're going to be doomed. And so this stretch, this last week, week and a half or so, 
You've seen the communication get better defensively. You've seen backline rotations get better, particularly from like Carmelo Anthony and some of the guards. Are there still mistakes? Yeah, there's still mistakes. You know why? These guys are mistake-prone defenders. You're not going to get Russell Westbrook to play perfect defense or Wayne Ellington or Malik Monk. They're going to make mistakes. That's not the point. The point isn't to play mistake-free. The point is to ask them to play with physical and mental endurance and focus and play hard on that end. Because we've said this a bunch, guys. Frank Vogel can work with you're playing hard. What he can't work with is the I don't give a damn. And because when you don't give give a damn, you're going to be on the bench. And part of what this first sort of dozen games, I think, has started to show is that Vogel's bringing these guys along with him defensively. And and the guys who need to are making their imprint on Vogel, I think, offensively. Like, hey, man, I can do some things. You need to make sure that I'm in there too. And that meeting in the middle is what it's always going to be about, I think, and probably the story of this Lakers season. What you just pointed out about Vogel being a little bit more pointed is definitely true. He, I, he felt a little bit more like the vice principal in a way after, when, I was, when I was in the press room last night, and it was great. But he, he mentioned they had a shoot-around on the morning before the Charlotte game. So that would have been, what, Tuesday? Or no, Monday. Monday. Yeah. So on, so Monday morning shoot around and they've almost never had shoot arounds, especially in those kind of settings. And, and they had contact, which they definitely never had. Oh, wow. And I didn't realize there was a contact this, one. Wow. Well, this was in response to the Portland game. Mm-hmm. And he said explicitly the coaching staff raised the bar with accountability, saying that's not acceptable. Uh, what what happened in Portland and the players echoed that message. Like some of the players certainly felt that way themselves. We heard Dwight Howard, for example. Uh, who was quite frustrated after that game with just the general effort. So that was what they responded with. And then Vogel said, it's a little bumpy early, but we believe we're going to do special things this year. So it was a great response the last two games. And there is that that level of being able to challenge the team. I do think it's a little bit different also when LeBron's not playing, because when LeBron's playing, just so much of that is going to go through LeBron. And there's there is usually a baseline level of energy and effort just with his being on the floor, too. And I think in this sense, you know, AD and Russ are trying to figure out now what's the what's the leadership vacuum and who should do what a little bit until LeBron gets back. And but the coaching staff, as Vogel said, is certainly played a, a key part in that. And we've seen it more often than not on the defensive side of the court. And, and that's uh, that's enabled them to compete in these games. And that's wonderful news because it can go in the other direction when you have a game like that game against Portland, where it, to me, this season with Vogel in particular could go one of two ways. It could be a mismatch between a coach that believes in one thing and a group of players that cannot or do not want to right? whatever reason. They're, they're in different directions on different pages. Getting on the same page, that meeting in the middle that you were talking about, D, that is huge because because it, that's not guaranteed by any means. And so what I've noticed with Frank's comments in particular is that he's like, no, this, these are the principles that I stand for. And this is what we're going to do so long as I am here. Yeah. And that is the best version of what this team can be. Because if, if you're a great defensive coach, get this group of guys to good enough. Right. It's one thing when you got Alex Caruso, KCP, Kuz came came along to be a, a really good defender. You got great defensive talent at every position. That's one thing, right? When you got guys that can shoot like that 
the way that Monk did last night or Ellington and Mello are capable of. It becomes a matter of like, if we're giving up three points per hundred possessions more because those types of guys are on the floor and we're getting seven more on the offensive end, right? Like yeah. and on a net standpoint, it's, it, it's a good thing. The thing is though, and I think this is a good point to go to break is giving up that three additional points per 100 possessions is going to be acceptable to Frank Vogel, I think, if the guys are out there competing and doing what they're supposed to be doing and you just get beat. What you can't have is like, oh no, they're getting those because you didn't rotate the way that you were supposed to, or you got like those things where he's asking Malik Monk to be physical in this instance. And you're like, well, that's a losing, that's a losing proposition for him. But guess what? If Monk steps in there a couple of times and gets hit in the face or draws a charge, or he's going to, if he wins one out of every four of those, but every single one, he is actually getting in there and doing what he's supposed to do. Vogel's going to respect the shit out of him for doing that. And he's going to play him because of it. But if it's a like, oh, yeah, guess what? Like business decision time, right? I'm not, I'm not really getting in there. We'll get it back on the other end. Right. If it's, we'll get it back on the other end. No, you'll get it back in practice tomorrow because you go into the bench. That's right. right. And so Vogel, and, and that's how he's going to control it, I think. And it's, that message seems to be getting through a little bit. I'm not sure though. Like, yeah, no, it, we, we are making progress on that end of the floor. Let's take a quick break. I want to come back and talk about the defensive abilities and, and weaknesses of those three players in particular, because I think that being able to play as many of them as possible is going to be really important to this season. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So there was a stretch at the end of the third quarter where it got away from us for a little bit. They ran, Miami ran a... Miami ran what's called a gaggle action, right? Similar to a stagger screen. It's a weak side action. You got three guys and they're kind of spinning around and, and like they're trying to create confusion between the three of them. And, you know, one cuts, one pops out, one screens. And they're making Russell Westbrook, Wayne Ellington and Malik Monk make these off ball reads all at the same time, right? Recipe for disaster. Great coaching by Spolstra to identify that. I thought it was interesting that we... In that really, we had a really poor stretch defensively there. We also were only down four at the end of it because we hit some shots. Russ banked in one of the several BS threes that that we hit, right? But um, 
those are lineups where right now, especially the end of third quarter, end of first quarter, beginning of second, beginning of fourth lineups, where due to the depth and the injuries, there are when we talk about there being no good answers, that's the point of the game where that shows the most, right? There's going to be something deeply wrong with any lineup that you trot out right there. But when we get more of our guys back and we have, say, that's Kendrick Nunn in there or THT in those lineups, better defenders, I'm curious, D, your thoughts on like, where do guys like Wayne, Mello, and Monk fit in defensively within what Vogel likes to do? I think the easiest answer, which is shocking, to say really based off of what we were talking about just three weeks ago is Carmelo Anthony. He seems to be... So Melo is the highest level player out of all of those dudes by a magnitude of 100. He made the top 75 list of all time, right? He is a top 10 all-time scorer. He is going to the Hall of Fame. In the same way that we talked about Dwight Howard defensively, like in Dwight's 2019-20 season, this acumen, this ability, Melo has that offensively. I love that comparison. That's really good. But Dwight, Dwight was also, Dwight's a Hall of Fame player too. So you don't, most guys don't make the Hall of Fame just by being good at one side of the ball, right? Like Dennis Rodman, Ben Wallace, those guys are a different breed, right? But I look at Carmelo and he understands how to play defense too. He's never had to do it at the level that I think Frank Vogel is going to ask him to play it this season. And his role has changed and he's no longer this, this heavy offensive load guy, right? So the asks are different for him, but the level of communication that he's been showing, his commitment to making rotations, and the fact that he's just like a 6'8 dude who's 250 and can get in there and bang a guy off. Like, he knocked around Bam Adebayo a couple of times. He was like holding his own against P.J. Tucker, who is like quite a load down there. He was getting on on the defensive glass, and so the things are easier are for Melo, yeah. right? Monk and Ellington are going to be trickier to me. Because they don't have a lot of natural defensive ability and they don't have size, right? And so Melo can compensate with size and just acumen as being an elite basketball player over the course of a Hall of Fame career. Monk and Ellington don't really have those same tools to fall back on, in my opinion. And so it's harder, Mike, to incorporate them into lineups where they can be protected or play to their quote-unquote strengths defensively because to Pete's point I'm not sure what their strengths are defensively like Monk has physical tools leveraging those into being a good defensive player I don't think we've seen that over the course of his career yet so answering that question now is sort of just like like I don't know like you can try these things you could try him as a chaser you could try him as someone to get over the top of screens you could try him at this or try him at that but he hasn't shown any of that over the course of his career so so I really don't know Pete sorry but to answer your question like I'm not sure I think it's easiest for Mello but Monk and Ellington not so much like I think they're just gonna have to hide them as best they can this is also the thing that sucks about having so many injuries early in the season for a team that didn't have any cohesion going into the season because of all the roster changeover, because now that guys are going to start trickling in, anything that they've started to figure out is going to shift some, and then it's going to shift again, 
And then it's going to, so where, where are we going to be in January when at least in theory, guys will have been back, will have been trickling in. We know we're going to see THT probably next, uh, not counting LeBron, which we don't know. But I mean, in terms of the other two that have been out with none and with Trevor Ariza. So once you start to integrate those guys in, and then how long is Austin Reeves going to be out? He's been a key part of the bench rotation. He's been a key part of what you're doing on defense. I think Rondo less so. Rondo gets to go back to that kind of emergency point guard to an extent. But once these guys start coming back in, what are the lineups that Frank Vogel really trusts? And, you know, there is, I don't want to say two different things at the same time, but there is, there is going to be enough time, I think, based on what these injuries are, for them to get this. But it's, there are going to be some other patches where we're going to have the same kind of conversation about, all right, well, which ones of these guys now do we trust? That because it's going to look a little different if LeBron is one of the defensive players out there. Very and much so. You know what I mean? So it's just a, we have so many, this team is so intriguing because there are so many different question marks that we haven't gotten to see all the pieces together yet. And the pieces that they had last night, there was no choice. And that's why I think it helped some. And when what's tough, I think, Pete, for a coach is when you look down at the bench and you've got two different options that aren't ideal. And you have to make a choice yep. to put one of them in. <laughs> yep. And then you get criticized for that choice because once it gets on the court, well, it doesn't work well. And then you look back down at the bench and it's just a like there aren't there aren't automatic, amazing, great answers uh, right now. But I, I just appreciate that they're going the way to get past that is with a lot of effort. And that's what they did these last two games. And it's that is that sustainable for a whole season? No. But that's why they need to get some guys back from injury. There aren't a lot of answers right now, but I think that what we should be doing right now is asking questions. And if I can take an optimist view on the point that you just made, I think we've gotten a chance to get a long look at several guys and several lineups, specifically the Russ and AD lineups, which will be central to portions of the game, even come playoff time. And we like, does Austin Reeves play enough early, early on to have us be like, oh, we've got a guy here that can legitimately play if everybody's healthy? Probably not. I don't think so. And so that, and then, you know, getting some run for Wayne, for, for Monk, I think that there's, there's benefit in that. Even Mello, right? If Ariza was around, I think they'd be splitting a lot of those minutes. Would Mello be in the rhythm that he's been in? Didn't have a particularly good shooting night last night, but overall, he's been obviously wonderful. Great gravity, though. Great gravity. Yeah. They paid a ton of attention to Carmelo Anthony last night. That matters so much. That matters so much. I'm so glad you brought that up, right? Because I think Wayne has a lot of this, too, with the ability to come off of screens. And with him, with the defensive question that I, I, I asked... I am in a similar place on Monk as you of like, I don't know. And he's one of those guys. It's it's funny. Uh, Brad Turner brought up the microwave comparison, the Vinnie Johnson yeah. comparison. And Monk did not know who that was earlier in the season. LeBron, uh, LeBron explained it to him. Vinnie Johnson was a bench player for the Detroit Pistons bad boys teams that won the title in 89 and 90. And like a lot of great defensive teams, they were prone to some offensive lapses. And Vinny Johnson was a guy who, it wasn't every night, but he'd come off the bench and like, oh, he's got 10 points in three minutes. And that's why they called him the microwave, because he could heat up and he could heat up very quickly. And that's what Malik Monk is, right? And that's why he's kind of this X factor where if he doesn't have it going, you just don't play him as much. Or obviously not on a night like last night where we're so shorthanded, but having a guy like that on the team that you can just throw out at the end of the first quarter, second quarter. Does Malik have it going tonight? No, that's fine. If he does, you ride that. Um, 
But defensively, he's got speed and athleticism. I, I think it's a harder question to ask. With Wayne, I thought he was really good chasing Duncan Robinson around screens. Now, Miami's a team that uses a ton of that between Robinson and Hero and even Kyle Lowry. Lots of handoffs, guys coming off of screens where you got to chase them around, stay attached on their back. And Wayne was fantastic at that. And that's something that the numbers had borne out too, that he's really good in that chaser role. So I think that not every team has a guy to chase around, and so that's not always going to be something that's particularly useful. Denver's a team in the Western Conference that the actions that they run, that'd be helpful. Uh, some some of the Phoenix stuff you can chase around. But his offensive abilities coming off screens opens up a whole part of the playbook that does not otherwise really exist. I think you can do it for Monk a little bit, but uh, talk to me about what you've seen from Wayne so far. We've just gotten a couple of games, but I think that talk to me about that classical literature and smoking jacket. Wayne is the term you used earlier. So you had talked about, or we've talked about Melo being a professional scorer. And the term that you used for Wayne was a professional shooter. And I think that that's spot on. Right. And so it would make sense that Wayne Ellington understands how to chase to like lock and trail because like it's what he does on like the other end. Mm-hmm. Right. It's just like I understand the the inverse technique of this. I understand what it means to come off of these actions. And so let me use that same knowledge to be mm-hmm. the defensive guy, right? It's why mm-hmm. if you're a cornerback, they'll have you play wide receiver. If you're going to go on and play some offense, you're not going to go and play like, I don't know. Even safety, right? Which yeah. is kind of like the most adjacent position. It's a different a different thing. But yeah, that's a great point is that Wayne knows what makes it harder on those types of situations because he does it all the time. Yeah, and, and so defensively, I think that what has struck me is his competitiveness, more so than than anything else he is really trying out there and that's going to endear him to the coaches it like it just is there was a couple of plays against charlotte i think it was where a guy attacked him in in the open court and he just went by him like he wasn't even there and it's just like that's what you're going to get sometimes with wayne ellington it's it's like sometimes it's just not going to be there but if he's out there and he's showing with high hands and and he's and he's actively getting deep into his stance and he's like chasing and running hard and he's making his rotations at the speed and with the effort that you want from from him, then that's playing team defense. And that's what you really want from a guy like like Ellington. There are. There are core guys that you're going to put out on on an island. Those are the LeBrons, the Anthony Davises, to a certain extent, even a Dwight Howard. Like you trust those guys to do more. And then there are the guys who fill in the gaps and the guys who you're asking to fill in the gaps. They need to do that with a certain amount of know how and effort. And Ellington is showing that so far. The thing is, though, is that offensively, one of the things the Lakers have been doing with 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 Wayne is they've been sticking him in this nice little screen action with Carmelo Anthony where mm, so hard to guard they are. And I'd love for you to like diagram this eventually Pete, but they are like Ellington is screening for Mello, And then, 
and then he's circling around after that screen and then mellow a screen for him. And then one of them goes through the lane and the other one comes off a pin down again from a big man who is setting another screen for them. So they all be set up like similar to the action you were describing the with gaggles. the heat, mm-hmm. yeah. right? But it's now with the Lakers and it's, and it's Ellington and Carmelo Anthony. And it's like, okay. Both those guys can come off of a screen and shoot it. And, and so actions like that, that opening up up the that opening up of the playbook, that that matters for the Lakers. It's a way to eat up offensive possessions where you're not asking Anthony Davis to stare down a double team and pick out a cutter. Mm. You're not asking Russell Westbrook to navigate a set defense that's loading up against him. You're not even asking LeBron James to basically go in there and bang in the post in order to draw extra help and then swing, swing, swing. It's like, no, you know what? This time we're running this action for Carmelo Anthony. This time we're running this action for Wayne Ellington and they're going to shoot it. And that is their value to, to this team. And in some ways, like I know that Bazemore has been starting and I don't want to start a whole new, new calm conversation here, but that utility of having something that you can, that you can go to offensively, that's what is missing in Bayes' game to me. And it's one of the reasons why I think like his minutes are sort of, like suffering to a certain extent because he is fitting in and slotting in appropriately within some of these these lineups but his utility within them is waning as we start to get tape and understanding of these other guys and what their strengths are and what you can cater your lineups to for them to do because the things that they're good at, they're actually really good good at. And Baze is more of a jack-of-all-trades sort of guy, and but his baseline level is lower than some of the things that Ellington can do as a shooter or Monk can do as a ball handler and shot creator. It's interesting, those options and those choices and Vogel having to find a way to pick it out and choose appropriately, like Mike was talking about earlier. Remember how many conversations we had this offseason about who that fifth starter was going to be? And you can make a good argument for several guys. And we went back and forth with Ellington and with Bazemore. And I think we first settled on Bazemore thinking that Frank would trust the defense the most. And that has been the answer. But there, I think that Bazemore's now been in a spot where he's been asked to do a little bit more than he either should or is comfortable with. And a lot of this, again, is with LeBron James out. And he's also, with Russell Westbrook on the court, that's meant that they've been having him guard down a lot. And he's had to guard Dame and Steph. And that's a that's a good look for him to switch it up once in a while. But it's not something that he should be doing all the time. And it takes a lot out of you. And it just, I think that the whole thing has affected him from a rhythm standpoint in a certain way. So I think that he'll have better days. But right now he's struggling. Then on the flip side, you have Ellington, who has all of a sudden got 25, 24, 22 minutes the last three games. And he's starting to find the shot again that just looks so smooth coming out. I mean, the threes that he made yesterday, the first one I thought was give credit to Vogel. They drew a nice play out of a timeout and had him come around to the top of the floor for a wide open three. And that's, Pete, that's about the best you can hope for from an ATO, like get a, a wide open three for a rhythm shooter like that. And he missed it, but he hit his next three. And and so 
I just think that now you've got you've got guys that are starting to get in rhythm to Pete's earlier point. And once everybody comes back, you if you can establish the way the team is competing and the way that they're they are going to do things a certain way on defense, then all of a sudden you can go to the skill set stuff. You can go to the Ellington just for the shooting and the lock and trail to an extent. You can go to Monk for in hope that he gets into a microwave moment um, and that you don't leave that popcorn in there too long. You know, like there's there's a lot of stuff that I think they can start to unlock, but it's it's still ultimately going to require everybody getting back soon enough. It's just it's good that we're having this conversation now as opposed to, yeah, they came back from the road trip after the one game road trip after they got smacked and they didn't give that requisite effort. Then that'd be a whole different tone on a pod like this. I think your point about like introducing skill sets into something that already has a foundation is a great one. And the defense is the foundation, right? It's something that if we can play good enough defense and, oh, Malik's got it going. Okay, we've got things that we can do to account for the fact that he's got some issues on defense. Same is true with Wayne. Same is true with Mello. He's even as hard as he's competing. And he's certainly playing the highest level defense of them at the moment. But that's going to be a big part of the season is finding those places and, and those points. And I think the fact that I think that all the guys coming that are out with injury right now, them coming back one at a time will be helpful to some degree, right? Where maybe the final version where everybody's back, knock on wood, that 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 happens. If it's all at once, yeah, it would be kind of throwing a lot. You'd be destabilized from what you've established. But bringing one guy back at a time, I think is going to be helpful. And I think that that's probably how it's going to look. I'm really glad you guys brought up Bazemore. Let's talk about him in tomorrow's episode, at least the first half of tomorrow's episode. But a fun win last night. Uh, the basketball gods on our side. Um, I think that makes up. We were talking for one of the OKC losses, right? We're we're improving. We're on. We're as as frustrating as the beginning of the season has has felt. We are taking steps in the right direction when, especially after that Portland game, could have gone in a completely different one. Wins against Charlotte, win against Miami. Good stuff. Hopefully, let's build on it. We'll be back tomorrow to cover the game. Until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. They win. Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. That next to the winner. It's on the way. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two. Let's
James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.